The Drinking Hour on Food FM. You're listening to The Drinking Hour with David Kermode in association with the International Wine and Spirit Competition, using the best in the world to judge the best in the world. Hello, or ciao. Welcome to The Drinking Hour from Food FM with me, David Kermode. This week, we're celebrating Prosecco Day. Neil Phillips, DOC Prosecco Ambassador and Flavio Giretto, Export Director at Villa Sandy, join me to reflect on the astonishing global success of this quintessential Venetian sparkling wine. Plus, later on, some medal winners from the Prosecco category from the IWSC. The Drinking Hour on Food FM. Once upon a time, it was a little-known Italian sparkling wine enjoyed as an aperitivo in the small cosy bars that sit alongside the canals of Venice. And its name was Prosecco. As if we even need to say it, it's now a global success story. What's more extraordinary is that it has all happened so quickly. I can uh, recall my own uh, first glass of Prosecco on my first trip to Venice in uh, the autumn of 1993. Uh, it cost a few hundred lira. There was no euro then, of course. Uh, something like um, 30 pence back then, I think. Uh, it was simple, uh, fragrant and delicious. Uh, so it wasn't long before the world woke up to its charms. Uh, Prosecco is easily this country's best-selling sparkling wine, and the bubble shows no sign of bursting, as far as I can tell at least, not least because there's now a pink Prosecco as well. Uh, Neil Phillips is an ambassador for the DOC Prosecco, and uh, Flavio Giretto is uh, global export director at Villa Sandy, uh, one of the biggest names in Prosecco, uh, a family institution. Uh, welcome to the drinking hour, both of you. Great, great to be on, David. Lovely to be here. Hi. Hello to everybody. Very, uh, I am very happy to be here. And uh, I am drinking my first glass of Prosecco of the day. <laughs> oh, well done. Uh, for anyone listening, it's 9 o'clock in the morning, uh, 10, 10 o'clock in Italy. So that's it good going. Excellent. Yeah. But uh, you know that uh, if you live in the, in the Prosecco region, now it is the time for Prosecco breakfast. <laughs> I love that. Well, when you go to a nice hotel in Italy, there's always a bottle of Prosecco there um, uh, alongside yes. the orange juice. So um, uh, good for you. Anyway, let's let's kick off. Uh, Neil, I reflected there on my own memories of discovering Prosecco back in Venice in uh, 1993. What about you? How did you first encounter Prosecco? Do you remember? Well, it was a similar sort of time, actually, David. I was doing a wine trip around Italy at that time. I was working for an Italian company. We were going to lots of different regions, including Veneto, of course. And that was my first encounter with Prosecco. Similar sort of time to you. But also, I was actually studying for my Wine and Spirit Education Trust Diploma at that point in time, about 1993. And, of course, we were covering Prosecco as well as part of the syllabus. So... I was there actually tasting and enjoying Prosecco and enjoying all that freshness and fruity character and taking the wonderful Veneto region as well. And at the same time, studying for my diploma. So there was all, all these pieces going on at the same time there for me. But that was, that was my first start of the journey there. I did, I, mean, I did work for an Italian company for a number of years, which was great, which was absolutely fantastic. Mm. And uh, to someone listening who is uh, a bit younger than us, they might think it's bizarre that... Uh, I'm saying that Prosecco was kind of new to the UK, but that's not an exaggeration, is it? 
Not at all, David. I mean, I think it's I think that it's been phenomenal, really, if you think about it. I mean, if you just think about the sudden growth and popularity of Prosecco and that style, that fruitiness, that softness has just caught on so rapidly. And everybody thinks it's all been a very, very recent phenomenon, which it has in the sense of the growing sales, obviously, and the popularity. And as you said in your intro, the sustained popularity as well. But also, you know, the history is there. You know, people were drink, have been drinking Prosecco for some time. But it really has, I think the timing was just absolutely fantastic for the UK, to be honest. I do, really. And it's no exaggeration to say it's a global success story. Yeah, I mean, that's the other thing. I mean, if you take like the States for as well, in the US, if you look at sales of Prosecco, David, it's, it's, it's flying along there. Really, really popular there. Germany, France, obviously out in Asia as well, is very popular too. So it is very much a global success. And if you certainly hear growth has continued, definitely in the States, but all around the world as well, which makes it a very, very exciting piece for our consortium in terms of all the activities we have in lots of different countries too. Mm, I bet. Uh, Flavio, <laughs> um, you've been part of that success story at Villa Sandy. Why do you think uh, Prosecco has enjoyed uh, this success? So in, in my personal opinion, like our president, Mr. Giancarlo Moretti Polegato, say, because Prosecco is a democratic wine, because it is for everybody, for all the, for all the taste, for every time during the day, it is for aperitivo, it is for, uh, for lunch, for dinner, for celebration. So there is always a nice opportunity to have a nice glass of Prosecco. And also the fact that we, there are different levels of Prosecco quality and also pricing, uh, we, uh, everybody can find the right Prosecco for them. So now the style can go from the extra brut to the, to the dry. Uh, we can have a different uh, expression, different areas, from the DOC to the DOCG, Valdobbiadene and, uh, and Asolo. You can pair Prosecco with uh, every kind of cuisine, but it is uh, mainly the style that Neil was explaining to you before, the freshness. It is a very fresh bubbles, very ready to drink, that create a new style of bubble in the market. Because uh, I remember that in the past, uh, uh, the, the, the sparkling category was only champagne and the other sparkling. Now, all over the world, you can find champagne, prosecco, and the other sparkling, because uh, we were able to create uh, a new category in the, in the bubbles uh, all over the world. And democratic is a nice way to, uh, to, to put it. Uh, uh, Neil, do you, you do a lot of work with consumers um, who are very enthusiastic about Prosecco. Is that democratic approach something that you witness? Oh, absolutely, David. I mean, it is fantastic. And one of the things I think, because I present all over the UK, and that is, you know, festivals like Taste of London, for example. I'm going up to Scotland very soon um, to present at Edinburgh. And one of the things, wherever you go, the enthusiastic response you get to Prosecco is great. And I think it's it's something that, that continues. And I, I really like that. I try and combine as well where it might be food festivals, wine schools, trade events as well. Let's not forget about that. There's a great role of actually saying to anybody educating on Prosecco, here, you know, this is this is the story here. This is what's going on. This is what what are the these are the new things we're doing as well. Obviously, with the arrival of Rosé as well, quite recently. But I, I just think there's been this real. There's this fantastic engagement, as Flavio was saying. That it's, it's the softness, it's the freshness, it's the 
it is democratic, and I love that. So it's the accessibility, <laughs> and, and I, I think also as well is just to to say that people are picking up the different styles, and people like with Villa Sandy are recognising producers as well now, which I think is really important. And we're showcasing a whole number of producers across all these different activities, which is what I, I love as well. So I think that has been and the development of all that has been really exciting. I ought to say as well as let's remember Prosecco in terms of the Veneto region, but also with Freely Venezia Giulia as well, because that's about 25% of our production. And there are some wonderful Proseccos coming out of Freely, for, for example. So I feel the, the momentum is all there. And actually, one of the things that you've seen as well is, is all the ways, as Flavio was saying, just in terms of the different ways you're enjoying Prosecco, also with food and cocktails, the different styles, the different producers, whether it's Frizzanti style, Calfondo, you know, Spumanti. So that all comes into it as well. And people want to just know more things as well, David, which I think is great. And coupled with that is the development in terms of obviously organic, vegan, those messages as well, which is, is very important right now, as we all know. Mm, absolutely. Uh, Flavio, picking up on what Neil was saying there about where Prosecco comes from, um, I tend to think about the plains of Veneto, but obviously it's a, a mm. significant region in size. Uh, tell us a bit about the, the terroir, if you will. The, mm, the terroir of Prosecco, we can say that, first of all, uh, you know that the production uh, area of Prosecco is the northeast of Italy. As Neil say, said, there are two regions, mainly the Veneto, where Prosecco was born in the province of Treviso. And after 2009, with the, the enlargement of the area and the, the establishment of the new consortium DOC, it was enlarged also to, to Friuli. So first of all, uh, it's very important to, to point out this, because sometimes uh, in many markets, everybody thinks that Prosecco is a, an Italian sparkling. It is true, but it is an Italian sparkling produced uh, in a precise region with uh, some very unicity in the production. And uh, we can say that uh, we can make a difference between the, the biggest area, DOC, where mainly uh, you have different uh, approaches and different uh, lands, because uh, in, the, in the Veneto region, it is more uh, a clay soil. In the Friuli, mainly in the plants, like in the Grave or uh, in the border between Veneto and Friuli, we have clay, but also stony soil. Mm. So it is very important to understand uh, uh, this, uh, to also understand from the producer point of view, which is the, the best Prosecco to produce. For example, uh, we were speaking about the trends. And uh, we can say, because uh, our company, Villa Sandy, is the only company that owns vineyard or property in all the denomination of Prosecco, from the DOC to Cartizze. And, uh, for example, we have a wine estate in Friuli, in Spilimbergo, where we decided to spread uh, an important project for uh, a low-calories Prosecco, because there uh, you have a tony soil, there is a sun, so you can make the harvest with the, the, a little bit uh, before the normal, uh, the normal harvest time to have low calories, low alcohol, lower alcohol, but with uh, a pleasure taste uh, like the other Prosecco. If you go in the province of Treviso, for sure, you have uh, more uh, aroma because uh, it is where, uh, where Glera production was born. So it is very, very uh, vocated. But, uh, for example, if you want to have uh, organic, it is better to go in some areas where you have uh, less rain during the year because you can't do a lot of treatments 
even if uh, you want to be sustainable during the year, because uh, at the end, in our opinion, it is important the final quality that uh, you have uh, in the glass. So uh, also this makes uh, uh, our region very, very interesting because uh, we are speaking about uh, 33,000 hectares in total. If we consider only the DOC, they are 24,000 hectares. So we can say that from uh, an extension point of view, it is uh, uh, the most uh, wide, the the wider uh, production area for the DOC in Europe. So it, it is normal to find uh, the right way also to have uh, uh, the right prosecco in the right uh, uh, in the right land where it is produced. Then another point, um, if we speak about terroir, is important, but also the, the northeast of Italy is also the symbol of uh, a lifestyle. If you go to Venice, you go to Aris Bar or uh, to other uh, important places, you want to enjoy an aperitivo with a nice glass of Prosecco, but also cocktails. And uh, in my personal opinion, uh, for example, the, uh, the spritz that was born in, uh, in Venice, it is part of the success of uh, Prosecco. The most important thing is that uh, we need uh, everywhere, Italy included, to understand that you can have a nice spritz if inside you have a premium Prosecco. I adore a spritz, and we're going to come to cocktails <laughs> and spritz later on, especially a select spritz. Um, but we'll come to that later, because I want to stick to the um, the Prosecco yeah, yeah, yeah. now. And, and, and Neil, you taste, I mean, you must have tasted thousands and thousands of different <laughs> Prosecco by now, Prosecchi, I should say. So do you, do you notice um, those terroir differences i'm not talking about the different styles the 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 sort of sweetness levels because again we can come to that just the terroir do, do you kind of taste that yeah you can pick that up david because i think it was interesting what flavio was saying there about freely for example and talking about the terroir there and when you go there you see that much stonier soil they're picking later as well there for example and you are picking that up you are getting that terroir coming through there and I think that's one of the things, as Flavio said, it's really important to realise that there are these different, the different provinces and what we're getting from those different provinces and within those as well in terms of terroir. And there are certainly producers, for example, that might take some fruit from one of the provinces like Belluno in Veneto because they like the terroir there as well. And also it has to be said climatically as well what they're getting there too, to, to actually blend in from another province. So... I think this is one of those pieces that, again, it's just when you, otherwise we're talking very general terms about Prosecco, and it's good to get into this detail about terroir, David, most definitely. And then coupled with that is actually obviously thinking about some producers, and we'll come on to this a bit later, you know, you've got some styles now with longer lease aging, for example, those sort of styles coming in. So in amongst all of that, you have the combination of terroir and also the combination of actually different producers and what they're wanting to achieve with their style of Prosecco as well. So this is a big piece and we're doing a lot of work on the whole terroir piece and as well just in terms of how Glera is performing across the two regions in different areas and looking at that in more detail. Yeah, interesting and a, a good idea as well. Uh, yeah. Fabio, back to you. Tell us about Galera because um, the grape used to be referred to as Prosecco, didn't it? And then uh, in order to protect uh, Prosecco's geographical origins, um, we came to know the grape as Galera. That's right, isn't it? Yes, yes, it is right. Uh, <clears throat> because we can say that uh, at, the be uh, at the beginning, the grape was born uh, 
with the appellation Glera. And uh, but, uh, the, the origin was in the province of Treviso, but the success that uh, happened uh, uh, during the, this period uh, make this wine to be to also the producer of other areas like Friuli to try to produce Glera also in the other parts. But when they started to plant the Glera grape in Friuli, in particular in the, in the area of Trieste, when there is a town with the, the name Prosecco, the um, people living in that area, since uh, the, the Glera was very different from uh, the typical wines from Friuli that are very alcoholic, full-bodied, uh, so different from, uh, uh, from the typical wines produced in Friuli, they wanted to find a new name because they didn't like Glera. So there was uh, a town, an old town in, uh, near Trieste with the name Prosecco. There was Castello Prosecco, and from that time they decided, uh, they, okay, why don't we name this uh, wine produced with the Glera Prosecco? And uh, after this, since the name Prosecco was more successful, the, uh, the, the Glera uh, became uh, the, the wine, the, the grape Glera was started to, to be named Prosecco. Also when the production came back only in the province of Treviso because the first uh, uh, try to produce Glera in Friuli was not successful. So very soon the production uh, came back again only in the province of Treviso, but maintaining the name Prosecco. So when uh, in 2009 the consortium, the new consortium DOC was established, they decided to come back for the grape to the old name Glera in order to have the opportunity to save uh, the, the name. So in this way, now all over the world, in Europe, but also in other parts of the world, it is not possible to produce uh, a wine uh, with the name Prosecco, because uh, before 2009, uh, everywhere in the world, for example, also in US, uh, I could see some bottle produced in, uh, in Sonoma Valley with the, the, the name Prosecco and produced with other grapes. So now the only countries in the world where it is possible to produce a wine with the name Prosecco are Australia and Brazil, but they can't export the wine. They can, it is only for national use because the, all over the world, the only Prosecco that you can find all over the world is the typical Italian Prosecco, but the name Prosecco is referred to the, the wine produced with Glera grape uh, with the Martinotti method and put in bottle and must be or DOC if we consider the, the wider area or DOCG if it is a Prosecco Superiore from uh, Valdo Biadene or from Asolo. It's uh, a complicated history, but it, it does um, make a lot of mm. sense. And I totally understand why you <laughs> felt you needed to protect uh, the name uh, Prosecco, given the, uh, <clears throat> that uh, extraordinary success that it has enjoyed. It's, um, it was uh, oh. fairly uh, obvious that uh, others were going to try and uh, uh, enjoy that I, too. Neil? I, I, I agree with you that it is uh, difficult to explain, but I tried to make it easy. <laughs> because uh, it is not uh, sometimes very uh, very easy to, to explain what's going on about the rules uh, that, that are very complex. But, uh, you know, as from Veneto, we have another big wine that we have, it is very important for export market. A white wine, the name is Pinot Grigio, you know. But mm -hmm. the experience that we had with um, to don't have the opportunity to save the name, because you know that you can't save the name of a grape. 
You can nice. save the name of the wine. For example, Chianti. Chianti is produced with Sangiovese, but the name of the wine is Chianti. So making this name of the wine Prosecco, name of the wine Glera, could permit to save the name of the wine yep. all over the world. Understood. Uh, Neil, mm. explain uh, the method that's used uh, to produce uh, Prosecco. It's often referred to as a tank method in simple terms or Charmat method. Um, and in Italy, we should probably say Martinotti, shouldn't we? We should actually, David, yes. Um, created by Federico Martinotti in 1895. So what you're doing is you're actually just doing your first fermentation as normal, then you're blending the base wine. And that base wine is then going into a pressurized tank, stainless steel tank. You're adding sugar and yeast. You're starting that, you have that second fermentation in that pressurized tank. And when you've reached your required alcohol level, and also in terms of how much residual sugar you're going to have as well, you can then cool down the, the tank and that will stop the fermentation. And that is your creation of actually what is a is the Martinotti method. So it's all in tank, bar the Calfondo, which is second fermentation in bottle, which we're going to talk about a bit later. But 99.5% of what we produce is actually Martinotti method in tank. Why is that good? Because it, again, as we said earlier on, it's all about the freshness here and that fruity character, and we're drinking most Prosecco's pretty young, is, is that's, that's a method that really brings out that freshness and fruit character, those floral and fruity notes. For example, for our DOC wines, it's a minimum of 30 days for second fermentation. So you may have, say, 25 days for the actual fermentation itself and then resting on the leaves. And then you can then, when you're coming to bottling, you're actually bottling under pressure as well so that we get the Spumante and the Frizzanti styles of Prosecco because those wines are bottled under pressure too. But it's, it's become a very internationally known method. It's used for other sparkling styles as well. And obviously known internationally as the Charmat method as well. And Neil, just explain what Frizzanti and Spumante are for those who don't know the difference. Yeah, now that, that's the thing, David. It's a good one there because Spumante is about 83% of our production. So that means that the pressure in that bottle will be above three atmospheres. So many of our Spumante wines would be, say, four, four and a half, maybe five five atmospheres of pressure. So let's say if you were dealing with champagne, most champagnes are about six atmospheres, for example. Um, so you have got a lot of pressure in that bottle. Then you actually have Frizzanti, which I think is a wonderful style and still a style for many people to discover, really, for me, in terms of an actual style. And that is where you have a semi-sparkling style going from one atmosphere up to two and a half atmospheres. So you will see some Proseccos actually in screw cap because it's a light spritzer. It's a very, very light spritz. And then you will see some with that traditional cork closure as well. So that is pretty much makes up all our production. I would also say as well, we have a tiny amount of actually Tranquilo, still Prosecco. So I always say to everybody when they're traveling out to Venice and Treviso, and you can get a little still Prosecco in the UK, is if you're in a bar and they say, would you like to try some still Prosecco? It does actually exist. Yeah, very, very <laughs> unusual. But I agree yeah, with actually. you. Uh, Frizzanti is, um, is a, a lovely style. For those who actually don't like too many bubbles who yeah. sort of fear that they're going to hiccup or something uh, if they have too much sort of something that's too gassy it, it is uh you know it, it is a lovely style that very much suits this sort of simple fresh style of wine yes. isn't it 
Yeah, I agree with you, David. And one of the things is as part of what we do, because with all the activities, what happens is, and Villa Sandy are very heavily involved in all our activities, but we we go out to all the producers and they say, well, we're interested in that particular activity that Neil's doing. And we're always trying to make sure that we include some Frizzanti styles as well, because, you know, it's part of a Prosecco journey, isn't it? And mm. as you rightly point out, there are, you know, it's about 16% of our production, is then getting people to try Frizzanti styles. I mean, you can do that within the tasting, say you're doing half a dozen Prosecco dot wines. It's great to be able to introduce those styles. And I agree with you. And when people try Frizzanti styles for the first time, a lot, I can see some people, wow, that is really for me. That's really my bag, you know. And there's good distribution here in the UK for Frizzanti styles. So I think that is... Uh, it just shows you, as I was saying earlier on, there's, a, there's more there, you know, there's more detail. And this is part of what we're doing is saying, this is what's happening. This is what you can actually enjoy as well. I think it's also the case, uh, certainly with the current tax regime, that you pay more tax on sparkling wine, but you pay actually fractionally, at least a little bit less on Fritzanti than you do Spumanti. Isn't that right? I think you're right about that, David. Yeah. I, think I think you are, a, actually. Yeah, yeah, I think there's, I think a, there's a subtle difference in the amount of tax we pay. So it's, yeah. it's sometimes just a little bit better value as well, because we pay an awful lot of tax on wine in this country, <laughs> uh, which we don't in Italy. But anyway, that's a separate, uh, I'll get off my soapbox. Um, Flavio, let's go back to you and, and uh, let's uh, hear a bit about Villa Sandy, because I mentioned um, one of the big names in Prosecco and also... Um, a family name, that's right, isn't it? Yes, uh, Villa Sandy is a family name because it takes the name from uh, um, a Palladian style villa that is uh, in Crocetta del Montello, where we have our headquarters. And uh, it is um, uh, the Sandy family was a noble family from Venice who built this, this villa in 1622. So we are speaking about uh, many, many years ago during the, the Republic of Venice. Because in that time, uh, many noble families from Venice used uh, to buy a big portion of land uh, outside uh, the, the center of, uh, of the city in the water and became uh, very important uh, owners to come back to the, to, to the culture of the, of the land and also of the wine. So we can say that in the Veneto region, in particular in the province of Venice uh, and in Friuli, we have uh, to thank a lot these uh, families because they could establish the big culture of wine uh, in the northeast of Italy after the fall of the Roman Empire. Because you know that Venice was uh, founded after the fall of the Roman Empire around 600 after Christ. And uh, after this, there was uh, a period not very important from a cultural point of, point of view. And uh, with these people, we could come back to a big tradition. The Moretti-Polegato family that now is... Uh, are the, the owners of uh, the company, bought uh, the villa in the, about 30 years ago. They completely refurbished to the old splendor and uh, make uh, the, the, the real uh, headquarter and symbol of our company. In fact, uh, the winery is connected with the villa with uh, one kilometer point five of underground cellars where we have uh, we store the bottle of uh, our Metodo Classico because uh, uh, the, the curious thing is that in the Prosecco region, we are also the most important producer of Metodo Classico, but made with the Chardonnay and Pinot Noir, not with Glera. And uh, it is very important for us also to have 100% uh, uh, expertise about the, the production of bubbles. 
we can say that the Moretti Polerato family is linked to the to our land because they was born in in this town and uh, in the in the land of Prosecco, and now we have also in, with us the third generation. So in the, the the winery was founded many years ago by uh, the father of our president, Mr. Giancarlo Moretti Polegato. Then his him and his brother continued the tradition and uh, could develop a lot the business of uh, of the company. And uh, you know that Villa Sandi is the name of the wineries of the Moretti Polegato family, but uh, we have uh, five different brands. Three of them are about Prosecco. One is Villa Sandi, that takes the name from the villa. One is La Gioiosa, that is very famous in the UK market, mainly in the off-trade, because uh, you can find in the main uh, chains uh, and the wine store uh, all, uh, all over the UK. And is also the leader brand in the category of premium Prosecco now in the off-trade in the UK market. And Casa Geller, that is a company very traditional from Valdobbiadan and that the family bought in the 80s. And then we have Opera, that is the brand for Matelo Classico, and Borgo Conventi, that is a wine estate that we have in the Colle of Friuli. But coming back to Prosecco, if you come to visit us, now we we own five uh, wine estates that cover, as I told you before, uh, all the denomination from Prosecco DOC in Spilimbergo, DOC Treviso in Crocetta del Montello, uh, Superiore Valdobbiadene in Valdobbiadene and Cartizze, two different wine estates. And uh, uh, in Asolo, Nevesa della Battaglia, and uh, in Cartizze we have uh, we produce our La Rivetta, Cartizze that is uh, uh, was named the best bubble of the year in Italy from the Gambaro Rosso Guide. So we are very proud because we, we have the numbers, because uh, now we are uh, the most important private company in the, in the Prosecco region, but we continue to have an approach like uh, a small family winery, because also the family is with us every day. Uh, we, we share the success, but also the issues, the challenges. So every day we can... Uh, deal with the family. Now we have the third generation with us. Diva Moretti Polegato is uh, uh, area manager at UK and uh, USA for Villa Sandy and also global brand ambassador. And she is 28 now. And uh, Leonardo, who is 26, joined the company one year ago and now is more involved uh, in the production uh, uh, program, etc. But uh, uh, it is very important for all of us to to see a continuity, because we can say that uh, a big value we have, uh, Villa Sandy is the only now big company in the Prosecco region where the original family is already on board. Because mm. many other companies, uh, they sold the business. You know, the, the original family is not already on board. We are speaking about the, the, the main uh, players. Then we have a lot of small companies where there are generation and it is part uh, of the big success of, uh, of the region, because also now in this unique territory, we have a lot of people coming to visit us uh, every day, uh, every year, sorry. We are normally before COVID, 20,000 people visiting us uh, every year. We are speaking about private people, because you know, we are uh, not very far from Venice. We are uh, trying to, uh, to make, uh, our territory very well known in the different parts of the world, 
because uh, now you can find Villa Sandy wines in 126 countries. So uh, everywhere we try with our partners to speak about our land and to create uh, also some partnership in order to have people coming and uh, hear and visit us, not only trade, but also consumers. So for yeah. us, uh, it's very important to, to share the, 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 the values of the area and uh, to make uh, a sustainability that is not only in the vineyards, where we have our certification biodiversity, but also in the land. In fact, for example, the villa is open to visit for everybody. We have some vineyards uh, in which right. we have the gym in the vineyard. So people can come to practice uh, in the middle of the vineyards and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and they are open. We have also machinery in a vineyard, in the middle of the vineyard where people can run, they can do the gym. Uh, <laughs> and it is completely uh, uh, free. So they right. can go when they like, <laughs> they can go what, what they want. So the family okay. is very involved uh, in this. Okay, so you, you can have a kind of Prosecco workout then, basically, in the, <laughs> yeah, in the, yeah, yeah, in the yeah, middle yeah. of the vines. It, it is interesting, that, that family point. Um, I just wanted to pick that up with you, Neil, because you've been in the uh, the trade uh, in the UK uh, far longer than me, actually. And um, people can be quite sniffy in the wine trade, uh, not at a consumer level, I, I don't think, but uh, in the trade, they can be quite sniffy about uh, Prosecco. They can um, kind of... Uh, refer to it as quite an industrial uh, product mm. and there are places where you know vast amounts of it are made uh, there is a, a lot of production but there are also these um, these rather charming you know family names there's a lot more to the, the kind of the, the people who are making Prosecco isn't there? Oh very much so David I think that's a really good point of yours because part of one of my in my role as I said earlier you know I'm talking to consumers but I'm also talking to the trade as well and picking up on that point, one of the things, you know, virtually I've done a lot of work with the WSET educators, the Association of Wine Educators, for example, because bubbles isn't any part of the syllabus is so important, isn't it? But mm. it's actually just saying, let's get into the detail here. Come on. Um, so that is something we've, we've done a lot of. And I think I've, it's interesting when you do these presentations, let's say you're showing eight different Proseccos, is with the stories behind those, you've got the family businesses, you've got businesses like Pisolato, which is based near Treviso, and they are very much a family business. They are very much about organic, for example. They're very accessible. They're great people to go and visit. And, you know, I'll give an example. Larugi, that's a business which always used to be about they were blacksmiths, actually, but they are producing wonderful wines, but they've got a great backstory as well. And that is one of the things about when I'm presenting the wines, those backstories too. And I think actually just linking up to a point that Flavio said as well, is one of the things we're always talking about is visiting Prosecco Land, going to see producers. It's quite interesting when you say to me, well, have you been to Venice? Yes, I have. But have you been to visit a Prosecco producer? So we're always encouraging people as part of their experience, the colouring experience, their drink experience, but just taking in the wonderful history and scenery as well, is to actually get out and visit producers, whether they're going to be based in Venice or based in Treviso or heading out into the hills there. And that is a really important piece. So it's getting all these, these stories there as well for everybody. And I think that is something I've seen change a lot, really, how people are... are 
really taking those stories. And somebody came up to me actually at tasting earlier this year and just said, we all want to know more now about producers and the backstory. And I think that's great. So it is really good for us now and that response we're getting to the wines for me. And, and the fact that people are recognizing producers and starting to say that, I love that wine from that particular producer, for example. I love that Prosecco. So yeah. I view that very positively. And I've been really pleased, David, when we've, I've had those trade presentations where I've had some people, you can see them at the start of your tasting to your point in the question going, oh, okay, Prosecco, I, I, I don't need to know more about that. Well, they do need to know more because that's part of what they should be telling everybody, but also the response as well. And I think that's also with the different styles that we've talked about terroir, we've talked about winemaking, but also is to remember as well, is mainly about Glera, of course, but we can use Chardonnay, we can use Pinot Nero. Um, so there are some indigenous grape varieties as well, but also mm. the different Asian that some producers are doing now and the different styles within that. So there is a lot to talk about and a lot more than some people think, for sure. Yeah. And Neil, the, the terminology um, on the labels uh, doesn't always help, actually, uh, in terms of navigating, <laughs> to be honest. can be a bit confusing, let's be honest. Um, uh, so so just explain um, uh, the difference uh, or, or the range from dry uh, to sweet. Because when I say dry, I mean dry as in brute. Yes. But actually dry on the label is something else, isn't it? It is, David. Just one thing I will mention just very quickly as well is, no, I like the way you put that question, David. Uh, but, uh, but it's also to say in terms of every bottle will have a state label for DOC. And you know, that, that, is, that was introduced in 2012. That's the traceability there. You'll see where mm. you can actually trace where of that bottle, which producer, when this wine was bottled, for example. That's one piece. But on the label, as you say, so the driest style... And go keep with me here is brute nature so that is a relatively new style for us so that's from zero to three grams of residual sugar very small mm. part of our production and interesting enough you know you say again coming back about education here people wouldn't know about that necessarily then no. you go for extra brute which is again a small part of production that's zero to six grams of residual and then, and you will have people like Mazatina who produce extra brute with glare and chardonnay blend there uh, great with food, by the way. Brute is from 6 to 12 grams of residual. Now, Brute is about 25% of our production. So you will obviously see a lot of featuring a taste. You're always going to have some Brute Proseccos there. And then you move to Extra Dry, which is 12 to 17 grams of residual. Now, that's about two-thirds of our production, David. So this is the piece, and I understand from your question, you know, um, that, that's what may, many people obviously try first of all as an extra dry style or a brute style. And then we go to dry, which is about 8% of our production, which is from 17 to 32 grams of residual sugar. So that is where you have to, and then we have a small production of demi-sec, which takes you up to 50 grams. But key here is, is really that brute is from 6 to 12 grams, and then extra dry is from 12, 12 to 13, so, sorry, 12 to 17 grams. I appreciate it does need to be explained a couple of times during a tasting. And I do ask an audience, do you actually look at a label to see if it's extra dry or brute, for example? Um, probably about a third of people do, actually. But mm, I, they should. I, they definitely should. Yeah, yeah, they should. But what I do say as well is that within that is don't, because sometimes I get people saying to me, well, I only drink extra dry styles of Prosecco or I only drink brute styles of Prosecco. 
I think this comes back to producers as well then, because there are times when I, I've shown an extra dry Prosecco and, I, and if I served that Prosecco blind, and it didn't, people couldn't see with a label. And I think some people would tell me it was a brute style, for example, because it could be acidity levels, for example, there. Do, I mean, it's good that people are looking. And actually, when you, you come on to extra brute as well, bearing in mind, again, part of the story here, David, if people are thinking about having Prosecco with less than six grams of residual, for example, obviously very dry, but great with food, which we'll talk about in a bit. Absolutely brilliant with fish and chips, if you ask me, to have an extra brute Prosecco. Oh. Very good, no. yeah. No, that is a really <laughs> nice pairing. Yeah, we'll come to that in a sec. Just yeah. before we do, rosé prosecco, Flavio. Yes. Uh, Villa Sandy mm-hmm. makes a very successful um, rosé prosecco. We're going to mention it. This program is sponsored by the IWSC. Um, the uh, rosé uh, brut uh, Melesimato 2021 got a silver medal. We'll come to that um, in a bit. But yes. congratulations on that. Tell us about rosé prosecco. Thank you very much. It's quite a new thing, isn't it? <clears throat> it took a while. No, I, I can tell you that we are very happy of this, this result because uh, we can say that Villa Sandy wo- was one of the most important promoters to have, uh, from the beginning, have, uh, a rosé version of Prosecco. But uh, it took um, some time in order to make uh, all the producers, or the majority of them, uh, happy with uh, this uh, proportion. And also because, uh, you know, in Italy, normally rosé sparkling is not uh, a big... Uh, uh, a, a big category. Now it's starting to be bigger because there is the Prosecco. So not uh, a lot of people could trust uh, from the beginning to have uh, a, a rosé version of Prosecco. And also it was important to find the, the guidelines. So we could find some uh, historical documents in which we could find that from the 19th century, there were some companies in the Prosecco land starting to uh, make some blend of uh, glera with Pinot Noir. That is uh, the blend that uh, at the end uh, is uh, mm, important to create uh, the Prosecco Rosé. Prosecco Rosé, you know, that is made minimum uh, from 85 to 90% of glera and from 10 to 15% of Pinot Noir. The blend must be only with two different grape varieties. You can't have more like uh, in the Prosecco white, we can say. Like Neil told, was telling you before, uh, in the Prosecco white, you can use Chardonnay, Pinot Noir with white vinification, Pinot Grigio, Pinot Bianco, and many other grapes. With the Rosé, only this one. But uh, it was important, the experimental period, because you know that when you have uh, a new uh, enter uh, in, the, in, a, in a rule, in a consortium, you needed to find an experimental moment uh, that is that was run by the school of Conegliano, the, one of the most important winemaker school uh, in Italy, and it was important to create a nuance color that is very uh, elegant. It is not very pinky, but it is uh, we can say provincial. That uh, can uh, uh, it is part, in my opinion, of the success because the consumer understand immediately that we are. Uh, speaking about uh, um, a rosé that will be very uh, very elegant, very refined, with good uh, elements of fruits that uh, Pinot Noir can add more uh, fru- fruitiness uh, to the fruitiness that we already have from the glera, but with this pleasant acidity at the end of, uh, uh, of the wine that uh, you can have uh, uh, with uh, um, a normal Prosecco. So they are very close, but uh, the, the Pinot Noir give... Uh, 
a particular personality. And this was very important, in my opinion, because we introduced the 2018 harvest of Prosecco Rosé in the last two months of 2020. And it was very important to maintain the attention around the Prosecco category. So uh, Prosecco continue to be on fire and uh, we are continuing to increase. The Prosecco Rosé arrived to be the 15% of the, all the production of Prosecco DOC in general. Now the situation, because it was new, but I think that uh, uh, it will be in the, in the next years uh, can represent from 10 to 12% uh, the, the percentage in the total category of uh, uh, Prosecco DOC also in the future, because mm. now it is an established product and uh, we'll find uh, it has a position inside. Yeah, no, it's with the success of rosé wine as well. It was really a, a no brainer, I think. Uh, Neil, back to you, because we promised we'd talk about food pairings. And <laughs> these are very versatile wines, uh, rosé included, uh, when it comes to food pairings, aren't they? Oh, absolutely, Dave. And the rosé has been a magnificent success. <clears throat> and I think it's brought some new people into the world of Prosecco as well. That's that's for sure, with that love, overall love of rosé. But yes, one of the things we're doing a lot more tastings as well, we're doing a lot more food pairing tastings. So certainly... Prosecco is great with cheeses like Grana Padano, for example. Absolutely wonderful, creamy cheese from the north of Italy and produced a lot in the northeast. And that works really well. We've been, and sushi, I think the pairings with things that sort of working, doing with sushi dishes as well. I think it shows you that Prosecco is a great aperitif. It's great as a cocktail, but also isn't about having that moment when you start to move on to food to actually say, well, well we've got bubbles here. We'll, we'll stop. We'll drink a still wine. It's wonderful to have with food. And also, obviously, risottos as well. And make sure when you're making a risotto, let's say with some lovely Sicilian prawns, for example, add in a drop of rosé Prosecco as well into that risotto. It'd be great. But mm. also, again, for you know, with salads, being versatile there with lots of vegan dishes as well. And I think it's just showcased. And one of the things we've, we've been doing more and more of, and particularly this year, actually, is doing lots of sessions at wine schools where we have got that food pairing and you're introducing the different styles in terms of the brute, the extra dry, those sort of styles. And now we're having the rosé as well. That's opened up a sort of broader picture for actual food pairings as well for me, which shows you the versatility of the wines. And I think it's a really good point that Flavio is making about the, the rosé has just had a massive, massive impact, really. Yeah, I mean, a uh, good point about risotto too, by the way, because that point <laughs> where you... You, uh, you've softened the onions and you've warmed up the, the, the grains of rice and where, where you, you kind of deglaze, if you like, uh, where you add that Prosecco, uh, that, yeah. that wine. Prosecco is great for that. Um, so um, back to you, Flavio, because uh, Neil was talking about the, uh, the, the success of, of rosé mm. and uh, that has uh, obviously uh, added to the overall uh, sort of picture of success for the category. But people have been saying for a long time now that the... Uh, Prosecco bubble is going to burst, that it can't go on growing. Uh, what is the uh, reality? I mean, what has happened to sales? Are they still growing? They are still growing. Also this year, we have a, a, a very important growth uh, in, in, the, in the category. And uh, I think that uh, in, the, in, the, in the Prosecco, we are very, very lucky because uh, the consortium play a very important role we can say that uh, uh, for the promotion, but also for uh, the rules, because uh, we have uh, uh, an authority that uh, continuously 
check the situation about Prosecco. So it is uh, for the promotion and the nail uh, know this very well because uh, we are doing also in the UK a lot of things together. And mm. uh, it is very important for education because uh, uh, it uh, uh, can uh, make a, play a very important role to maintain uh, the, the category on fire. But uh, the style of Prosecco is, uh, uh, is uh, um, a match winner. So the, the very important thing is that we don't have, uh, like uh, uh, as Italian, that uh, sometimes we are very, very clever in doing this, uh, uh, create problems to uh, secure success. So the, the, the consortium now is, uh, is checking and, and also saving the Prosecco because uh, you know that we have a lot of, of attempt of, of imitation with uh, particular names uh, that can remind you the name Prosecco, but they are outside the area. So, mm. and uh, from the other point of view, uh, it is uh, the style of the wine continue to be very important. And we have uh, a lot of countries where uh, uh, there is... Uh, uh, a lot of space for this category. For, first of all, as Neil was telling you, the US market, for example, that now is the number one, but uh, there is a lot of space uh, to develop the, the, uh, the, um, the Prosecco culture, etc. UK also, because also this year there is a, a, a consistent increase also in the, in the UK market. But uh, for example, we are seeing a lot of interest in Asia. Because coming back also to the food pairings, the Prosecco is very well with uh, a lot of typical Italian, Ita, uh, Asian food. So mm. it is very easy uh, to drive also the, the use of, uh, of Prosecco there. It is very important to continue this activity of uh, education to the link with the territory. That, in our opinion, is very important because uh, at the beginning was a, a little bit missing, but uh, to have people here to have the people touching and understanding that we are also not only in a, a lot of bottle produced, but also in a very unique area. And also to the, the cocktail category, why not, is very important to drive everything because we can see that everywhere in Italy, in all the region, they are trying to do a sparkling wine because sparkling is a, a big trend for, for the people living, etc. So. I think that uh, this, this characteristic of, Pro of Prosecco can maintain uh, uh, the success also for a uh, for long time because now it is established. So it is not something that will uh, finish. But uh, in Italy, we have some example uh, like Lambrusco, for example, or other wines that uh, were very trendy in the past. But uh, we, uh, without the, the right uh, approach, uh, you can very quickly uh, that's the, the trend, but uh, with the consortium, with the, the producer, that uh, many of them are uh, in a very good level, with the hospitality and the, the education, in my opinion, we can continue for a long time in this trend. For sure, yeah. uh, the land is that. So we need to maintain the numbers now, not to increase uh, uh, over and over, and to try not to increase too much the, the pricing, because uh, this is the problem sometimes.
Yeah, that's easier said than done, but you're absolutely right. And and actually learning the lessons of the past um, in terms of mm. some of those other things that have come and gone is 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 really important. Mm. You touched on cocktail culture there. I promised we'd come to um, a spritz towards the end. Um, I have been um, for the last, oh gosh, decade probably, every time I've gone to Venice, I've come back with um, a case with padded um, little bottle protectors in <laughs> with bottles of Select. Um, if people listening don't know what Select is, it's this wonderful Venetian bitter that is somewhere between Campari and Aperol. It's closer to Campari, but it's somehow just a little bit um, sweeter and less bitter than, than Campari. Uh, it's traditional in Venice in those uh, Cicchetti bars. I adore it. It makes the most amazing spritz uh, with Prosecco. Oh. Those two ingredients sit together so, so closely. And the amazing thing is we can now buy Select in this country um, on uh, the likes of Ocado, which I, I only realised the other day, so I don't have to come back with Caseful uh, from, <laughs> from Venice next time I go. Uh, Neil, are you a fan of a select spritz? Is that one of your oh, go-tos? Absolutely, David. It's brilliant. And I think it's really great, you know, because of the history is great there as well. But I love that sort of style. I'm a massive, massive fan, actually. But also, I just like to have a grapefruit spritz as well. Just have some grapefruit juice, some Aperol. You know, Aperol so popular here. It's got great history as well. And Prosecco, I, and pour over ice, obviously, and just a little bit of grapefruit zest there as well. Um, mm. It is really nice. But I, I'd also say as well, one of the things that's certainly getting very popular is actually to have cold limoncello liqueur, you know, pour it into your flute, add some oh. ice cold Prosecco as well, and just put some lemon zest there. I think that's, a, you know, it's been very, very popular this summer oh, here in the one. UK. Yeah. yeah, so that try that out because mm. a lot of people, are, it's getting really popular now and it's great, easy to make. It's one of these wonderful things, mm. isn't it, about the cocktails we're talking about. People can just do them very quickly and they don't need lots of different ingredients either. Yeah, it's great with gin as well. I, I had yes. a, um, a, a bottle of um, Warner's gin the other day, one of the sort of more artisanal UK gins, um, made for a, a fantastic Negroni Spagliato, is it? Uh, Negroni yes. mistake, I think yes. it, it means, because someone once made one by accident <laughs> and then realised it was great. So is that a, are you a fan of that as well, Neil? Oh, I love that too, David. That's a great shout. That's a really, really good mm. shout. And I think it's really nice to be able to just, again, as part of what we've been talking about today, so these different occasions, is just say to everybody, look, there's some one, it's great for cocktails. And, and the arrival of rosé has obviously encouraged that as well in terms of cocktails too. So with the whites and with the rosé proseccos, there's lots of choices for everybody. But easy proseccos to do. That you don't, haven't got, you know, I love cocktails. I love the whole presentation and mixologists producing fantastic cocktails. But also, mm. people at home can just do something pretty straightforward here. Um, yeah. Make sure, yeah. I, I agreed about the select, by the way. I think it's fab. Oh, it's a great, great drink. And the great thing about something like Prosecco in, in a cocktail is if you're replacing a spirit with um, a, a sparkling wine, you're reducing the alcohol load as well mm. which is from a health perspective and a hangover perspective is, <laughs> is going to be a good thing um just briefly then uh, we'll come to both of you for this uh, neil how will you be celebrating prosecco day well i think i'm gonna i might do like flavio actually have some breakfast and get rid of the whole spirit there but <laughs> oh. <laughs> do what you do flavio i completely agree nice sort now, of for sure uh, you know that uh, i am very lucky to be in, in the prosecco area so i will celebrate uh, in a vineyard of Prosecco with a picnic paired with, uh, with Prosecco. And uh, I think that first we start with different kind and finish with a Bellini made with Prosecco. 
that, oh, that's yes. it. And actually, we, we've got some folks coming around, David. So we're going to have the whole uh, aperitivo time. We're going to have all the cheeses. Mm. We've got all the meats ready as well. I'm going to be doing some mm. cocktails. We're going to be outside, obviously. It's going to be a lovely sunny day for, for that day. And uh, we're going to have a wonderful afternoon, actually. And I've got a nice lineup of white and rosé proseccos for people to enjoy. And I'm going to be doing a few of these cocktails as well. It's going to be great. Well, it will come as no surprise that I shall be having a select spritz uh, for Prosecco <laughs> Day. Uh, but um, and anyway, th- th- that's we've run out of time now, but we've covered an awful lot. So thank you so much, uh, Neil, mm. and uh, and also Flavio. Thanks, um, Flavio, you, you. no excuse not to get into that uh, gym now in the, uh, the middle of the vineyard. Um, there's plenty of time. <laughs> no, yes, but uh, I, I want to take this opportunity also to invite you both uh, to visit uh, to visit us uh, to spend some days uh, in in the Prosecco land uh, together because mm-hmm. uh, it will be a nice opportunity first of all uh, to spend some time together uh, personally not only yes. with uh, yeah, and uh, also to enjoy different kind of spritz because uh, uh, yes. you know uh, you are very Italian because uh, you know that select uh, is typical Venice in Venice mm-hmm. is more popular uh, Select the Deng Aperol that is uh, uh, the, the, the most popular all over the world and also all over Italy. But uh, you, you can try with the Cinar, for example. You can oh, try yes. with the other spirits. Nice. Yeah. Uh, for example, Cinar is my favorite, honestly. But, mm-hmm. uh, and, uh, and to try some food experience with Prosecco, we can do the Prosecco breakfast in the vineyards. As, <laughs> so it will be uh, very... And it can be an opportunity also for me not to stay in the office, but to enjoy with you in the vineyard. So <laughs> okay. You're well, very it's, welcome. <laughs> it's a deal. All right. Um, well, as, as long as you, uh, I can't promise to uh, be on the uh, equipment in uh, the gym in the middle of the vineyard, but I'll do everything else. Um, I'll certainly take a Chinar spritz as well as a select one. Um, thank you both, gentlemen. Uh, have a great day. Um, and uh, thanks for joining us on The Drinking Hour. And uh, ciao for now. Ciao, ciao. Thank ciao, you. David. Bye-bye. Thank you. The Drinking Hour on Food FM. You're listening to The Drinking Hour with David Kermode in association with the International Wine and Spirit Competition, using the best in the world to judge the best in the world. Okay, so let's round off as ever with some DOC Prosecco medal winners from the IWSC in 2020, our Hall of Fame, and where better to start than a silver medal winner from uh, Villa Sandy, uh, as we've been talking about uh, Villa Sandy over the last hour. And I mentioned that uh, relatively new uh, Rosé Prosecco, Villa Sandy Rosé Brut Millesimato 2021, uh, 90% Glera, 10% Pinot Noir in this case, uh, for that uh, red fruit and the colour, of course. Um, it won 90 points uh, from uh, the panel, which included uh, me <laughs> alongside um, veteran retail buyer Kat Lomax. I say veteran in terms of her experience, not her age, by the way. Um, William Lowe, uh, Master of Wine, also a master distiller, a previous guest on The Drinking Hour, uh, talking about his uh, excellent gin. Um, And uh, the whole process was overseen by Sarah Abbott, another MW and also a previous guest on The Drinking Hour. And we said this in our tasting note, aromas like a bag of mini Haribo star mix combined with waxy grapefruit and lemon peel energized mousse rushes across the palate like sea foam onto the shore flavors of watermelon jelly and electric charged berries one hell of a tasting note next a regular 
brute style uh, that as neil was explaining is uh, towards the uh, drier end as we would uh, think of dry um, biasiotto andrea brute 2021 was a silver medal winner uh, the same panel here as well uh, we said this perfume of apple blossom floating on the breeze the palette is incredibly fresh bringing crisp notes of white peach and translucent slivers of pear the mousse is creamy and soft giving the wine a lovely texture irresistible now here's a supermarket silver medal winner morrison's the best brute non-vintage prosecco uh, as I mentioned, uh, the name suggests a brute style, 85% uh, Glera, 15% uh, Pinot Bianco, which is uh, Pinot Blanc uh, in Italian, for those who don't know, uh, blended by uh, the retailer's own winemaker, something that Morrison's does very successfully across its range. Uh, the judging panel's verdict, rich and rounded with a gorgeous texture, on the nose, pear drops, white pear slices, blushing peach and white blossom, lithe and refreshing as the dip in an alpine lake in the heat of summer. Really paints a picture. And another silver medal winning supermarket number, Asda Extra Special Brute Non-Vintage, 90 points here. The judge's tasting note says this, honeysuckle and peach aromas followed by soft and creamy mousse. The palate brings peach melba, bejeweled slices of nectarine and crumbling limestone. Elegant and Moorish. Well, here's hoping you found this edition of the Drinking Hour Moorish. Um, I'm certainly wanting that uh, select spritz already, even though it's uh, about uh, 10 o'clock in the morning currently. I'll have to wait. Uh, thank you for listening. Uh, if you're after more, do join us next week. Uh, in the meantime, you can follow us at Food FM Radio on Instagram and Twitter. I'm Mr. Venusaurus on Instagram and Twitter. Do please follow me too. Uh, if you like what you hear, do please uh, give us a positive rating on your uh, podcast platform. Uh, but for now, that's it. Thank you and goodbye. The Drinking Hour on Food FM. You're listening to The Drinking Hour with David Kermode in association with the International Wine and Spirit Competition, using the best in the world to judge the best in the world.